Hello and welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. Today, Luke, we have a special treat, the new president of NIADA, Joe McCloskey. What an amazing interview. Um, Just make sure you uh, have somewhere to write down notes because it's just full of just wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. 50 years in the business, right? Oh, no. Well, yeah, he's been in the car business for 50 years. I get, I think the location about 31, 32 years, but I mean, run it, run it like you're going to sell it, which was just, I'm just like, wow, that is okay. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing before we get into this, Jeff, um, he is a legend. I want to talk just really quick about another legend that passed away. Um, Dave Keller, who's a mentor to me, taught me so much about the car business, the financials of the car business, taught me how to do QuickBooks. Um, Passed away after a long bike uh, bout with COVID and pneumonia. Um, He has helped so many independent dealers become great. And I I don't say that lightly. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be half the car dealer I am without him. And he will be greatly missed in our industry and it's just very sad that uh, he left us a little too early. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on a brighter note, this episode is awesome. A lot of great stuff from Joe's life, his vision for NIADA going forward. So uh, tune in and hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson, a podcast by dealers for dealers. Here we go. Well, thank you, uh, Jeff. It's an honor to be here, Luke. It's great to see you. Thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it. I know you have quite the reach with your podcast, and it's an honor to be here. Uh, Well, my name is Joe McCloskey. I own McCloskey Motors in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, We've been in business as an independent dealer for 32 years. I've actually been in the car business for over 50 years. I started out sweeping garage floors and then got promoted to being a lot boy, lot porter, and then uh, actually started selling cars at age 17 in high school, as being a junior in high school. And it was then that I knew that this is exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my career, because I was actually making more money being working part-time as a junior in high school than my teachers were in high school. So, <laughs> wow, is that Joe? Did, did you start in Colorado Springs? Have you always been there? Well, that's a good question. I actually started in Pueblo, Colorado, and uh, my dad was a school teacher. That's why I know that I made more money than he, <laughs> which didn't go over that well. But, um, but yeah, but I, I knew that this is what I would do, and always had a passion for cars, and that happened to be at a Volkswagen Mercedes uh, Benz dealership. And then uh, once I graduated, moved to Denver, sold cars up there. Um, got a, a whole different perspective of the automotive business, moving from a small town to a much larger town. And then uh, I went off and uh, uh, moved back to, down to Colorado Springs, once worked for a new car dealer, uh, became his uh, general manager, and said a Volkswagen Mazda store. Then for four years, worked at a Ford store. Uh, I have what I call, I got quit at both like, locations. Um, because I happen to be uh, humbly uh, very progressive, moving sales along into the existing senior vice presidents or whatever, they knew that I was the next contender. So we, we both agreed that it was better for me to move on. So then in 1989, um, uh, Anna and I both agreed we'd try and open up our own business. 
So I found this uh, fantastic location that was in the, this garage in an alley and it was a real sketchy place and an industrial area. And um, so we uh, I, I pulled up with, uh, in the front and opened up. Now we had four kids at that time and not much money. I had $40,000 and two credit cards. And um, so we, we uh, I walked into the, opened up the garage door, it's a single car garage door, flung it open. And there's just one light bulb hanging on the, the street. And it was dark and gloomy inside. And I told my wife that this is it. This is our, our dream. This is the future McCloskey Motors. And thank God, I don't know what she, why or what she did, but she said, okay, well, let's do it. And um, so we'd have kids in a playpen and we'd start, you know, I'd be buying the cars and fixing them and she'd be cleaning them. And uh, then we'd start selling the cars. And uh, so there's a little bit of a story with that because when I called the phone company back then, this is in 89 and uh, the phone company, uh, when I, when I called and asked for a phone line, because they, that's all you primary communication was a hard line at that point. And they said, well, they couldn't get a phone because I couldn't get a phone because the phone trunk line was full. And like, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you can't get a phone. So back then they hadn't even invented cell phones yet. And the cell phones were, they were big, but they're like giant suitcases. <clears throat> so, but they had invented a pager. And, and the, the cool thing about it is they hadn't, at that point, either invented caller ID. So this was a new thing and people would plug in their phone number. They had a new invention called a touch-tone phone. Got them really antiquating myself, touch-tone phone. And they would call up the phone number, punch in the, their phone number. And now I found I could capture the phone number, keep calling them back and following up, which to me was mm -hmm. revolutionary. But I grabbed mm -hmm. their phone number with a, a fistful of quarters, run across the street to a shopping center, and um, that shopping center payphone and the Royal Quarters became my business phone. Well, Joe, that that's uh, that is so interesting. So you know, everybody's trying to go back to that uh, that garage type setup where you uh, you're off the beaten path and you and you have just a uh, just a warehouse. But Joe was at the at the front of that. That's so funny. Yeah, it actually worked out pretty well. And then uh, we moved to a safer area of town. <laughs> and then uh, uh, we, uh, it's, again, it was just my wife, my wife, myself, and we did hire one additional salesperson. But my wife still holds the record of selling the most number of cars in one day. Hmm. And How many was that? 17 cars. What? No way. Yeah. I did 11. I did 11 one day. That's awesome. No. She got I did. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I was busy. Do I kept trying to help her, but we, we didn't have computers. So I was hand doing all the paperwork, not near the farms that we have now. No. Um, but yeah, so that's how we got started. Well, that's uh, that's so interesting. And when y'all moved, did you move to the current location you're at now or, or not? One of, one of our locations, yes. Okay. North, North Academy. And let's and let's tell the audience what type of dealership you are. You're a, uh, a prime dealership, uh, a little subprime. What exactly do you? What's your business core, Joe? Uh, our business is uh, very eclectic, just like my personality, and and that is is that we do uh, financing for all walks of life. We do uh, certainly retail. We do 
uh, near prime, non prime, sub prime, deep sub prime. And uh, we used to do buy here, pay here. Um, and we were, we did buy here, pay here for about 10 years. We had up about 2,500 accounts. And um, so I have a lot of experience in that. During the recession, we uh, decided to start collecting out our portfolio to build up the cash for the rest of our business, which is one of the great benefits of buy here, pay here. Even when times are tough, you have that asset of the cash coming in. And um, then we sw switched over to CAC and it just seemed to be a little bit better business model for us at that point in our, in our career. And how many cars are y'all selling total at both locations a month, Jeff? Uh, we sell an average of about uh, anywhere from 140 to 160 per month. Wow. And our price range runs, uh, we do have one location, it's called McCloskey Truck Town. Of course, being in Colorado Springs, that's a big area mm -hmm. of, of uh, the market. And um, that sells usually about 80 to 100 big trucks, trucks, vans, SUVs a month. And then a mile uh, up the road from that, we have an important four by four facility. Then we also have, we're pretty big in fixed operations. We have 28 service bays. Wow. How can you find enough technicians for those 28 service bays, Jeff? That's what everybody wants to know. <laughs> Well, that's a really good question, Luke. And what we do is uh, we really try and, and we're migrating to a model much like you would see with your uh, primary care physician in that we're trying to see who else can be doing the things, the, the operative things that the primary care physician used to do, but no longer does so that they're in a high efficiency level. So in other words, um, it, the, the cars need to be uh, pre-staged by, and it could be by somebody else who's pulling the parts so that the parts, the technician's not sitting at parts counter waiting for the parts guy to get off the phone. Who's doing the quality uh, check test drives to make sure the work's being done. doesn't have to be the mechanic. Um, who's pulling the car in for the mechanic and then getting that uh, on a, on a rack and lift it up. So if we could just keep our model that we're going to and, and are working on, so that the technician, all they're doing is while they're here, is they're working on vehicles. They don't have to be doing all the other unnecessary things. And we're finding that um, we can operate with fewer mechanics because typically at that point, using that model with somebody loading up the car, pre-staging the car um, for them, it usually takes two bays per technician to do that. That's a very interesting. I think, Jeff, that's probably the first time we've heard that discussed on the podcast about how to do that. That's um, do you do that for customer pay as well or just for internal, you know, get ready type situations? For both. All for both. Customer pay and and internal. Yeah. And so do you have uh, multiple ATEX that just do that and then porters or not porters, but lube guys bring it in? Is that kind of how that's set up or do you? still classify A, B, C through the, through the ranks? Yeah, we, we classify A, B, C because it's based upon the dispatching has to be based upon the skill set of the technician mm -hmm. because you really will slow down a technician if they've got to look at videos and study how to do a job. We're increasing the efficiency and the productivity and the job satisfaction of dispatching the work based upon that technician skill set. So they can get it in, get it repaired, 
still have some challenges, you know, every once in a while, just like with us, with computers, whatever, the, we have some glitches once in a while, but they're able to keep moving along and, and uh, that seems to work out pretty well with us. And again, it's a constant work in progress. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. So all in all, how many employees? Right now we have about 70. That is, that is incredible. Wow. What a large, uh, that just sounds like a huge headache. But um, <laughs> to, to go from uh, 1989, when it's you and your wife selling out of an old uh, storage shed to where you are now, I mean, that's a life of, of lessons and education and experiences. What would you say in that journey does anything really stick out to you as like large turning points or kind of large light bulb moments that you think other dealers could learn from? Was there something where you said, okay, you, you know, once I stopped thinking that I had to do it all, or once I got to this better location, or once I got a flooring line, or once I got a line of credit, like anything that really sticks out to you? Well, that's a really good que question, Jeff. I, uh, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I try not to lead my life at all, or live my life with regrets, but um, and I'm not sure the regrets are more of learning lessons. Yeah. Um, number one would be, um, um, you know, I've always had to burden the boats mentality and we can all appreciate this being an independent dealer. So back, what I mean by that is there's no retreat. Um, back in the uh, old days when they would be conquering a new land, uh, countries, armies or navies would, would, um, uh, land on on a new island or new continent or whatever. And then as all the soldiers were departing all the boats, uh, the Navy captains would go along and burn all the boats, set them all on fire. So there's no retreat. Mm -hmm. And I think every one of us uh, can really uh, appreciate that. The, the, the thing that uh, some of the tidbits I would have is, um, number one is um, there's no one I, so, sometimes I got into the mode where I was always reaching for that next expert, somebody with, that would be the saving grace for our business, somebody with, that would be the one that uh, the new shiny, flashy trainer, um, business model or whatever. And uh, that probably cost us a lot of time and mileage. Hmm. What I discovered was, um, and it's usually at the epitome of, of uh, some type of very you know stressful time where we're having difficult times economically or, or otherwise. And it all boiled down to the guy in the mirror that I was mm -hmm. looking at. And so rather than look, trying to hire a trainer, and this is no disrespect to trainers because there's great ones out there. Um, but if I wanted my people trained, it needed to be me that was going to train them. If I mm -hmm. wanted my people to be doing business a certain way, I needed to show them how to do that. So that was very, was very important. Um, two is, um, the, the, one of the keys is, and I, I think we're in that mode right now, where, uh, you know, times are good, frankly, as far as the car business is concerned. And uh, it's been difficult for a lot of people, but the gross profits are up. Uh, we certainly have challenges and we always will have challenges and in inventory acquisition or whatever, but times, times are actually pretty good. Um, and I had a person tell me one time, he's, um, you've heard of the term, drive it like you stole it, right? 
Well, it's uh, run it. His what he told me was run it like you're gonna sell it, and mm-hmm. it's a whole thing. So if you're gonna sell your business, you're gonna make sure that your expenses are down. You're gonna make sure that if you're gonna sell your business, your people are trained. You're you're gonna make sure that your facility is clean and updated. Uh, just like if we're gonna sell a piece of real estate or our own home, there are things that you you know and what you're protecting. What, and often we're pretending not to know um, what needs to be done. And if we do that, and particularly these times, that would be my advice. And that's something we're doing now is we're going, we're having a um, um, practice drill right now. And it's actually when we're saying practice, because I don't want to get people freaked out thinking I think business is bad. It's not, but it's a drill to go back through all of our financials and say, okay, the economy's, um, here's the scenario, the economy's slowing down, times are tough, business is slowing up. What do we do to get this, to keep our business running uh, profitably and efficiently? Because when business gets good, like right now, especially coming out of the COVID, um, our salespeople weren't maybe as aggressive on follow-up and intense on getting customer referrals. And those are the things that we need to be doing now while times are good to even catapult ourselves up to new heights of success. Yeah. It's so interesting when you say that run it like you're going to sell it. It it makes me think of so many things that as dealers, we talk about, you know, making sure your financials are, are airtight, making sure your processes and policies are all written down and documented. Like you're just going to take this little business and just hand it over to the next owner. It's, it's gotta be. And and I think if you operate that way, to to your point, you're going to have a better running business and it's going to be less headache and, and a lot more speed. And we get in these times where like, well, we don't look at expenses. We're spending $50 here and 500 there and a thousand there and 5,000 here on these softwares and products and services that, yeah, if it hit the fan, that stuff is going to be the first stuff cut. So, so why are we, why are we tolerating it now? Right. Yeah. And we have a, a litmus test, which is, uh, do we need it? And of course, everyone always says, oh, yeah, we made that for $50 per car. Uh, do, we abs- do we absolutely have to ha- have it? And they'll go, oh, yeah, well, you know, that it does this function or whatever. Okay, well, can we live without it? Well, I guess we could live without it. <laughs> so then that's what we cut the expense. And what I found now is the the fourth question would be how many of our other service providers actually provide this service and we just don't know it. And when we're, we're paying for these two separate companies, when what you didn't know is this company actually added all the features of this second company and for a small upgrade or, or just to turn the feature on, you can replace an entire vendor. That's, we we saw that a lot at convention. A lot of these vendors are starting to step into other people's territory and you can kind of consolidate that's Joe, you talk about training and all this. I know you, you've been in 20 groups since uh, 20 groups were started, right, Joe? And, uh, and you, uh, you're a big advocate for 20 groups. Um, how did, how did that evolve? I mean, how did your involvement in that shape your business? Cause I believe it, it had a lot to do with it when you talk about you training your own employees. The, uh, it's really interesting to bring that up because we're actually headed to a 20 group trip uh, this weekend. Uh, I've been a 20 group member for over 25 years. And uh, I've always said that it's the single best thing to ever happen to my business. Single best decision ever made. Mm. 
And I made that decision when uh, times weren't good, you know, and my wife was, who's my business partners, was like, what are you doing? We, you're going to go where? And you're going to go join this other group. Plus we had a bunch of kids and she knew five kids at that time. She knew she'd be left home alone with all of them. But, um, but you know, the, the best thing about a 20 group that I found is, is that uh, it actually provides you with a board of directors. And that board of directors can help advise you, the other 19 members in the group, or however members there are in a group, can advise you, uh, they can help uh, guide you, they can help you uh, hold you accountable. And that's something that we all want to do something, but after you've been to two or three meetings and they're saying, well, look, you said you're going to reduce this expense or increase your gross profit in this area. And Joe, you've been saying that for, for six months. And you know, very few people when you're a business owner will talk to you that way, other than our spouses. But uh, but they and they'll hold you accountable because it will do more sometimes to not let those fellow 20 group members down and you know, safe face in front of them than maybe sometimes we would do for our own business. Because as a business owner, you can kind of, at least me, I can kind of cover my tracks a little bit, right? That's, that's so, the, the accountability is that that's like the number one thing, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have a good 20 group, they, and it, the key to 20 groups is I always try and bring more than what I take away. Yeah. And, uh, and if you have a 20 group where everyone's like that, there's a lot of content. Plus, away from the 20 group meetings, I can't tell you the number of conference calls that we've had. Uh, this is way before Zoom and the whole thing, but the number of conference calls we've had, or just the fact you could call somebody up and say, uh, or call, you know, here's what I'm faced with, you know, how, what do you think I should do? And just get some advice for, from somebody that's already walked that path. So, yeah, so true. Joe, Joe, so help me under, wrap my head around this. You've got 70 employees, 160 plus a month sales. What is your day-to-day operation and involvement with the dealership? Because we know, and we'll focus hopefully the rest of the podcast on uh, you know your new roles in the association, but what is your day-to-day role in the dealership? It sounds like you're still very much involved. I am. Um, we have transitioned the company to my son, Tom. And uh, Tom's uh, was literally born and raised in the company. He started out vacuuming cars at 10 cents a car. So, <laughs> and then, uh, which he reminds me of all the time. I was and, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but he's taken over, you know, attended all the 20 groups, been through all the training. Um, and we knew that there was a possibility about, uh, three years ago that I might ascend to the presidency. So we really start transitioning the company to, to do that. I, you asked earlier if I would do something differently. I probably should have done that earlier instead of being so hands-on um, because up until about a, uh, nine months ago, I was buying the majority of the cars. And if I would have maybe stepped away from that more, I could have probably worked on our overall operations better. But now we're at the point where he's he's handling a lot of day-to-day operations. And Luke, I think you would test it's important that I stay out of out of their way. But uh, certainly all I do is 
is I call signals back, you know, to my son or the key, key managers and um, let them do their job. How many key managers do you have, Joe? If, if your son is, let's say, the, the CEO or COO at the moment, how many other managers do you have there? We have five in executive management. So I have a CFO, a uh, parts and service director, uh, two store managers, and myself. Okay. So let's start with, I, I, th- I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your community involvement's been amazing. Um, you've won... National Quality Dealer of the Year. Uh, you've won multiple National Better Business Bureau awards. Can you just briefly hit on how important that is to your business and to your life? Uh, and and we'll move on from there. But I, I think it's so important to to build that base before we talk about you being president of NIADA. Well, the, it, certainly they were the honor. The, the, the key thing with receiving any type of award, whether it be a local or national award, is I've always believed that it's it's not me that's getting the award, and it is our team. And sometimes it's even our community. So when we won the 2013, uh, which seems like yesterday, but it was the 2013 National Quality Dealer of the Year Award, we, it was uh, absolutely overwhelming and incredible. And I called and talked to some of the previous National Quality Dealer of the Year recipients. And uh, Mike, who won it the year before me, said, look, he said, here's the thing. Let me give you some advice. He said, you're really going to have to step up your game. He said, because now people expect that higher level of service. They demand the fact that you're, if you're the National Quality Dealer of the Year, they demand that you perform at a much higher level than everyone else. And he says, so you, you've got to really step up your game. And I had a meeting with our, our staff and I, you know, of course we're all on a walking on clouds with that. And, uh, and I said, look, this, I'm being told this is when the rubber really meets the road. And that is true. Uh, we found that the more awards that we received, um, the, the more, the higher that level of expectation becomes. So it's, they're very healthy. Um, you can't rest on your laurels. Um, many of these honors never uh, diminish with time. The National Quality Dealer of the Year never diminishes with time. Uh, we did win the Better Business Bureau Excellence and Customer Service Award. Uh, we've uh, received that um, three years in a row. We're up for it again in the next 30 days or so. So basically that award is by the Better Business Bureau, it's a, a national award. And uh, we happen to be the only independent dealer in the country that ever received that award. And we received it three times. Um, and, that's correct. Um, yes, which we're proud of. And again, I'm not bragging, I'm bragging about our team. I'll take credit for hiring them. Okay, well, actually Tom hired them, but I'll take credit for hiring them. And uh, we have an incredible team, but they, but that that's one that is really a, uh, interesting award because they come in, do they really scrutinize your business? They, they interview every, a lot of candidates. They put you through a, a process of how do you handle conflict resolution? Uh, how do you operate business? Your business or it's operate smoothly? And they have who's doing the interviews are actually uh, image, uh, business owners or managers, executive managers in our community. And they come in and they they uh, do that analysis, and they also silent shop you. 
And then based upon that, they make their decision whether or not that you receive that award. Oh, that's so impressive. I know uh, your community's uh, better off to have you. So uh, thanks for what you do for, for that community. Well, thank you for my compliment. We appreciate it. Hey, sorry to break into the middle of the podcast, but we have to talk about Buckeye Dealership Consultant, don't we, Jeff? Yes, excellent sponsors, supporters of the podcast. Uh, we love the guys at Buckeye. Um, they are the go-to for all your reinsurance needs. Um, get your reinsurance company set up. If you're anything like Joe, and we didn't even talk to Joe about his. I'm not sure who he uses. I assume he's got a reinsurance I promise company. you he has a reinsurance company. <laughs> Guarantee you he does. Um, that is the way long-term wealth, long-term success, uh, you know, help minimize that tax burden. Yeah, there's, it's only one way, like we say so many times, to build generational wealth and wealth in the car business, and that's with reinsurance. Because if not, you're giving money to someone you shouldn't be giving it to, correct? Absolutely. Keep the money in your own pocket. Uh, back to the podcast. So uh, you just became NIADA president of the executive board, and uh, thank you for your service. How did how did you get involved in the association? How long? How far back does this go, Joe? It goes back to uh, it goes back eight years, about eight, eight and a half years. And uh, when I received the National Quality Dealer of the Year award, uh, was also uh, there, there's a window. And the great thing about associations um, is uh, I, I learned also early. Jeff, you asked, well, what what other pearls of wisdom, if you would, would you give to, to somebody? And that is. Uh, when I was younger and more of a maverick, I would uh, just pick up the phone and call my congressman or state senator or whatever, and just give them my piece of my mind. <laughs> Incidentally, what happened was um, somehow I always ended up being audited by some type of governmental agency. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm like, okay, well, if I just figure out, rather than poke my head up, you know, get it locked off, try and figure out what I could do to become part of uh, a greater group. So 27 years ago, I joined uh, as a board of directors from Colorado Independent Auto Dealers, served all the chairs in that position. And so I'd already been a president, chairman of the board, and now past president when we won the National Quality Dealer of the Year. And um, they, uh, I had, at that point, I had Steve Jordan out, had um, some other people from NIA D8 out to our stores. And I told them I would really like to get involved. And um, because I was really getting more and more frustrated with what was happen happening to our industry on the federal level. And, and still am concerned about that. And this, I said, you know, tell me what I, what can I do? How can I, how can I join? And so they happen, fortunately, to have a position available as a regional vice president for in the West. And uh, so the timing just was perfect, and that's how I got started. That's, uh, that's awesome. What, so being the president of NIADA board, can you kind of walk us through what that looks like? Because there's probably a lot of people out there that, that really don't understand what all goes into to serving as president of the board. Um, the, the, so the NIADA board, um, uh, is actually, uh, let me, let me back up just a little bit. NIADA Inc., National Independent Auto Dealers Incorporated, uh, as the association has a CEO, which, uh, who is Bob Boltman, great guy. 
And Bob Boltman, his boss is the board, the NIADA board of directors. And there's a total of 10 directors on the board of National Independent Auto Dealers. Um, I am the president of that board, one of the 10. And then we have officers within that board. So we have senior vice presidents, president-elects, treasurers, secretaries, regional vice presidents. And regional vice presidents, the country's divided up into four regions. And they, they have uh, their responsibility is to be the direct contact for the state executive directors as well as the members. And then our job is to help run and advise the, the association through the portal of the CEO, Bob Baldwin. So we don't get involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the NIADA Inc. Uh, we go strictly through Bob Boltman. And certainly if, if a staff member has a question or whatever, we, we talk to them. There's normal discussions throughout the day, but uh, Bob's the one that's in charge of running the association. And essentially we're in charge of Bob. So it sounds like you will be uh, hopefully kind of directing the future of how what NIADA looks like, the board does in, in general. What do you see the future of NIADA, uh, 20 groups and all these things? You know, how does it help the, the dealer? And what do you see in the future that looking like? Well, Ned, that's a, another good question. You guys really put a lot of thought to these questions because they're, they're really on point. The... Um, so for us, first of all, you brought up the 20 groups. Uh, the 20 groups are an absolute priority. And one of the things that we were discovering in the, uh, in the past 18, 24 months is there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the 20 groups by the 20 group members. And the program had gotten stale. Um, there was, they didn't feel that they were getting a good return on their uh, hard-earned dollars, their hard-earned investment. So we have uh, entirely revamped that program, brought on three new moderators, uh, looking for a fourth right now because the groups are growing and we're getting a lot of uh, interest and excitement in that. And that, so the, the NIADA uh, 20 group program and educational program, including certified master dealer is a priority uh, of NIADA. For me and for the, you know, People ask me, well, what is it, like you just did, Luke, what is it that future, what do you want to have as contribution? And my, my what I would am working towards and will uh, accomplish is a couple of different things. Uh, number one, um, I believe in doing what we say that we'll do. You know, we unfolded the five-year strategic plan at the convention. Uh, my job is not to go in and start changing things. My job is, is to make sure that we have a continuation of that plan and we execute on those items that uh, are in that strategic plan. Uh, number two is, most importantly, is that we, uh, I look at my job is to unify all members and state associations. And what I mean by that is um, we all have, based upon our business models, different camps. We have buy here, pay here camp. We have the retail camp. We have subprime camps. We have lease here, pay here camps. And we have uh, service, uh, automotive service repair camps. 
what the one thing that we have in common, commonality is we're all independent dealers. And if that is what we need to join together as, as independent dealers, that's that, that commonality. And that's how we can all unify together to help protect our industry and advance our industry. Um, and we can only do that through numbers because right now we're sitting a little bit below 14,000. We are, we, we, it's really exciting because we have a lot of dormant states who weren't, that didn't have associations or maybe the association went dormant that are really beginning to breathe new life. They, they see the momentum that the other state associations have as well as the national independent auto dealers. And when you walk into Washington, D.C., or have a Zoom call these days, which actually are more effective because you have one-on-one time with your legislator, not interrupted, versus if you, we've all been to Capitol Hill, we know that there are distractions and you might be talking to a, a page, uh, an assistant out in the hallway might be the closest you would get. But anyway, when we, we say we represent right now, we represent about 14,000 independent business people. That speaks volumes. But if we can get that number up to 20,000, which is our five-year strategic plan, say we represent 20,000, we have people's uh, and the legislator and the policymakers' attention. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, that'd be huge. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love I love the plan, Joe, and I think that. Uh, you know, the staff's in place to do it. And, and I know y'all have the will to make it, make it happen. So for, I guess, moving forward, where do you see the car business going? You know, we've seen, you know, you've been on the cutting edge for years. Uh, where do we see it going with this, uh, the new virtual dealership and, and this, do you see that taking over? Do you see the traditional model laying out? If we look to the future, what, what do you think is going to happen? What are you preparing for? What, what we really learned during COVID, because I think all of us uh, experienced the, the virtual aspect of buying and selling cars. And certainly there's always uh, a segment of the population, buying population that will want to buy the cars online. What people, what people we discovered really missed was that personal interaction. And uh, we, we also discovered um, because we were having complaints with our customers. Um, when we call every customer that's been in the showroom, whether they bought or not. And uh, again, we call every customer that uh, once they have purchased to have them rate verbally through our uh, director of happy customers calls and follows them up, make sure that they are happy. They, um, and they said, well, our, my salesperson just seemed kind of grumpy he was, you know, and I didn't really connect with the salesperson. And this is right after we were allowed to go back to work, right? And with everybody's in face masks and we're sanitizing the whole thing. We're like, well, what the heck is that all about? And then it dawned on us that everyone was wearing a mask and they couldn't see their facial expressions. Ah. And so we said, uh, we, I, I called everyone together. I said, look, they had, every customer facing employee, in fact, all employees. And I said, look, here's the thing. If we're all wearing these masks and I'm talking through a mask when I gave this thing, you know, if we're wearing masks, then what you need to be is overly animated. 
you've got to be over the top, just like a, an actor on a stage in Broadway. They, if you watch them real close, if you're up next to them, they just seem like they're exaggerating and yelling and their expressions are all really amplified. Well, but if you go back about 20 rows, it looks like they went, you know, type of thing. So we, we believe that going forward, that there will always be that business model of people wanting that customer interaction. Um, and we've got to make sure that we're delivering a, a quality product. I think people are becoming much more conscientious of the quality product. Um, that we manage your expectations. We're in used car business. You know, transparency is really important. Um, you know, let them know that if it has some leaks, squeaks, dings, dents. You know, I tell my customers, you know, I, I this car has leaks, squeaks, dings, and dents, but so do I, and my wife still thinks I'm a pretty good buy. <laughs> but uh, the, you know, and we're looking at, you know, some people say, uh, and my son was a little concerned about electric vehicles coming into the market and what will that do? And uh, I said, well, number one, there's, that is maybe 10 to 15 years off. And number two is we've got to get really good at selling electric vehicles. Yeah. I mean, for gosh, gosh sakes, we're independent car people. We're resilient. We're, we're persistent. We're passionate. And just because there's a new model that's out, so like when we hybrid showed up. Yeah. After a while, we all started selling hybrids. And there were some people saying, well, I'm not going to do that. Or when, you know, but the others, you just adapt and overcome and make that part of your business model. So I, I, I see the, um, lastly with, and I've been really studying that, it's interesting that the, the manufacturers as well as the franchises, I think, are really beginning to look at their business models, particularly on a brand new car. Do you need to have 500 new Fords or new Chevys? on the lot and pay all those inventory and carrying costs. And uh, I think that they're beginning to look at that. The, uh, there was a, an article that was out and I can't remember, there's two manufacturers, I think it was Dodge, Dodge and maybe Mercedes, which are all owned by Fiat. But they said that uh, their plan going forward is not to uh, decrease prices. They want to keep prices up. So as, that was music to my ears because it's like that makes the pre-owned vehicles that greater, much greater value and better buy. We hope so. Well, uh, Jeff, you have anything else? Yeah, no, no, no. Joe, so much great stuff. We, we really yes. appreciate you sharing uh, your lifetime of wisdom with us and, and insight. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about because I know you've got so much more that you could, you could help educate us on. But if dealers want to reach out to you, how do they connect? Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment. I don't, I don't consider myself having the wisdom. I'm learning uh -huh. every day. Believe me, I, I study every day. I watch it trends, and uh, I'm truly a student of the business. So I still think, I still think I'm in the, the high school level, because <laughs> <laughs> every time I think I begin to know something, uh, it, I get taught a very hard lesson. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, if they'd like to reach me, uh, my email is joe at bigjoeauto.com. 
That's Joe at BigJoeAuto.com. Uh, look us up. That's my website is Joe, or excuse me, is BigJoeAuto.com is the website. And uh, I am on Facebook and all part of the independent auto dealer group. Um, so make sure you, you can reach me. Just look for Joe McCloskey on that. Well, we thank you so much. And uh, we thank you for giving your time to us, to other dealers around the country. And uh, hopefully uh, we get more dealers involved by hearing this and we can go to Washington with 20,000 here soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you Joe. guys for all you do. You've done so much for the industry. Really appreciate it and all of your insight and input. And, uh, and Luke, you really, when you and I talked at the convention, you really gave me a lot of valuable information that we're actually putting into action. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thanks all right. See you. So glad you joined us. Please take a minute to leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. The Independent Dealer Podcast. Dealers helping dealers.